welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and I'm excited to talk to our guest today. I know you're going to love them. Today, I'm speaking with soprano and composer Danica Loren. Multifaceted artist Danica Loren has not only made a name as a vocalist, but also as a composer. Having obtained a master's degree in opera at the University of Toronto, Danica continued training as a vocalist with the Canadian Opera Company's Ensemble Program from 2016 to 2018. From 2014 to 2019, Danica produced and directed five original shows with an ensemble that she founded called Collectif. In addition to their self-produced work, Collectif has been featured across Canada with performances with the Toronto Summer Music Festival, Festival Pontiac Enchanté, Canadian Opera Company, and Saskatoon Opera Company. Danica created and directed Mozart Re-Reimagined, a digital concert pastiche in collaboration with Saskatoon Opera, Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra, and Free Flow Dance Theatre. As a composer, Danica's work has been presented across Canada by the CBC, the Canadian Art Song Project, Canadian Opera Company, Pacific Opera Victoria, and Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra. Internationally, Danica's work has been performed at the National Sawdust Theatre, at the Leeds Leader Festival, and at Vigmore Hall. Danica has recently joined Barbara Hannigan's Equilibrium Young Artists and continues to build a unique career as a composer and a vocalist. Welcome, Danica. It's so good to have you here today. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Excited to have a little chat. <laughs> Wonderful. It's so great to chat with you. So I like to start off all of my interviews by asking, what's the origin story? What mm. led you down the path of being a musician? It's always such a unique path to every musician on how they get there. So anyway, how did you start down that path and what led you on the career that you're on? Well, I grew up on a farm and I had quite a few cousins in the area and I would often, um, I mean, I was loud from the beginning, I'm told, <laughs> but um, my Auntie Bernie, when she would take care of me, um, would teach me the song In the Mood on the piano. Yes. And so that was the very first piece I ever learned. And I would also take piano lessons and ear training and stuff from a, a local teacher uh, in a neighboring town named Penny Joint. Um, I a know lot of Penny. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of love. And she told my parents that I, I was definitely musical, but maybe I was a singer and not not as much of a pianist. Or maybe she probably didn't put me down as a pianist, but she um, definitely encouraged <laughs> me to take singing lessons. Apparently, if I would not know what I was supposed to do with my hands and my piano lessons, I would just sing it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> she's like, um, yeah, but no, that's not what we're doing here. So yeah, that's kind of the beginning. And then from there, I went into the Saskatoon Children's Choir and eventually started taking voice lessons from Marilyn Whitehead. And then it, it snowballed to where I am today. <laughs> that's wonderful. I love that. I think we owe so much credit to those early music teachers. Ooh, that yeah. sort of put that spark of inspiration and know. had the patience honestly <laughs> penny joint deserves a medal she she deserves several medals <laughs> that's lovely actually when she retired she took me by the arm and dragged me over and 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 <sighs> gave, just gave me like boxes of music books <laughs> oh amazing oh, I love that <laughs> she's such a treasure yeah. so you're also a prolific composer as well as performer and this year's SSO is programming your opera Hedda can you tell us more about your opera and what about that collaboration and and about the opera 
Yeah. So this is my first opera. I started writing it about five years ago when I was in the COC ensemble. And I think I thought about writing it for about two or three years before that too. I was really like working up my courage to even take composing seriously and and so on. But the play, um, it's based on a play, Henrik Ibsen's Hedda Gabler. And I was introduced to that when I was studying drama at the U of S actually. Um, shout out to Moira Day, who <laughs> taught me about that. And the character really fascinated me from the beginning. There's a lot that is hidden or not so obvious and up for interpretation. And that's something in, in artwork and in music that I, I really enjoy. And then when I was more firmly in the opera world, it was the first play to come to mind as one that was like truly operatic in nature um, and a character that I think the operatic canon can use as well. She's fascinating. <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. So what does the composition process look like for you? It's such a massive work. Like, was it always an opera in your mind or did it start out as a piece or a set of songs and then grow? And, mm. and where do you start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had already written songs. So I was getting comfortable with my own compositional language, which is like an ongoing process. And so I did know that this was going to be an opera from the beginning. And so I started out, I mean, reading the play uh, in several different translations because it's originally in Norwegian, but my version and many um, performed versions are in English. So yeah, getting very familiar with what I feel the show is about and what I feel is really necessary because you have to reduce the text so drastically with an opera. We don't need, like every word takes about 10 to 20 seconds longer <laughs> so you have to take a lot of stuff out so first it was like mapping what that would look like what the structure of you know scenes versus arias just for the pacing of it because that's super important to me in opera uh, and then going in and really fleshing out what the libretto looks like and then just sitting down I started this one at the piano laying down the the score and I was pretty much I thought done about five years ago uh, and then when this opportunity came up to collaborate with SSO I was like well it's probably a bit dusty like I should I should check it out make sure I still agree with what I did there and there were a lot of things that I did agree with but a lot of places I saw that I could maybe go further so I almost did a recomposition process of what I had already done but starting at the libretto first and then moving outward from that I'm always really inspired by text so I don't write a ton of my own text for my songs because that sort of collaboration between the poet and my perspective is where the music happens for me so Absolutely. So yeah. when you're in that composition process, do you do you listen to a lot of operas and study or do you oh. rather get into your own own world? It's a great question. I recently I mean, when I composed this originally, I was fully performing all the time. And it was just something that still happened for me. But recently, I had to learn a piece, a large piece while composing and the two sides of my brain totally clashed. <laughs> and I realized that I really almost go on a listening fast when I am writing a big work so that I can really just be living in that work. So that's something I'm, I'm working toward, like being able to balance more uh, in tandem. But right now I do kind of avoid a lot of listening unless I'm like needing to research something for that project. If I think like, oh, this like a Piero quote would go really well here, then I'm going to listen to that and sort of pick up on that. But that doesn't really happen very often for me. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pianist and it's, I've been given similar advice of when I'm preparing for a big performance is stop listening to that piece mm-hmm. or only listen to your own recording so that you live in your performance rather than yeah. in somebody else's. Yeah. And so when you're composing the opera, are you speaking with other operatic composers? Where are you drawing the inspiration from outside of that? I kind of don't like to, it's not that I don't like feedback, it's valuable. (laughs) But during the process of laying something down in composition, I feel like I need to not care that much about everyone else's maybe opinions. Um, So I kind of tunnel vision a little bit. I like to get something down that I feel really confident in. And then I like to share it with some people I trust. And for this project specifically, people who know the play and just kind of to see how that lands. But even then, at that point, it's pretty set in stone, unless there's like an amazing suggestion, which I have had, but I kind of just like to let the kid go to college kind of thing. Yeah, (laughs) I like that. I think that's wise advice too, because that's how you develop your own compositional voice and and you don't want it to sound like like somebody else's work you know yeah and and there's a lot of composers that have written um like don't interpret this piece or like I I recently (laughs) recently did Piero Lunaire with Simone Rivard actually and he showed me this quote (laughs) by Schoenberg that was basically like the singer does not need to interpret this like just just say what's on the page kind of thing I'm like well of course he would say that like you want once you're done a piece you have to sort of believe it's the most perfect it could be but I maybe this is because I'm coming from a performance background I like to leave space for interpretation and I really going into the process of doing the show because I will be singing Hedda I've been thinking a lot of how to leave my composition brain out of the room and just be a singer and just be a collaborator and that's something that's going to be a new experience for me but I think I'll, I'll do well I'm excited to to see what people do with it so I've always thought of music as a community experience I think so that it's not as much about my ego it's just about us like making it good <laughs> I love that. I think that's so great. And especially when the composer, because you'll be working with the other musicians, mm-hmm. when you give that kind of freedom to the other musicians, then they get to bring their artistry to the work. I know when I've talked with composers and I've played something for them and asked their feedback and they were like, well, I liked that. What do you think? And I was like, no, I want to know what you think. And they're like, no, I want you know, it's the other way yeah. around. It's yours now. Yeah. I like, I think of the, the visual artist Magritte who just refused to give any interpretation of his works. He's like, I did this, you know, for my reasons, it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. or whatever the meaning is for me shouldn't really matter to you. It's about your experience of it. So that's kind of what I want for my work as well. Keeps music as this living thing. Yeah. It's always changing. It's always growing. Totally. So (laughs) how does it feel to get to be back in your home province to get to work with the SSO and the Saskatoon Opera. I'm assuming you must have sung shows with the Saskatoon Opera before. Oh, yes. And then, <laughs> yeah, do you get a say in the casting? Are you directing? You had mentioned you, you're playing Hedda, but what does that creative voice look like for you? I did get a say in quite a bit of the casting, but that was collaborative as well. I wanted to remain open. And so there are a few people coming that I got to choose, which is really cool. One of my 
former voice teachers is coming for one of the roles, which is really exciting. The rehearsal space, we're not going to really have a director. It'll be an in-concert version. So I have some ideas about how we might set up the stage and do sort of subtle things to evoke the drama, but it's really going to be about the musical side of it, which I'm really excited about as well. It'll be uh, recorded and just a great resource for me as well as a really fun experience. Yeah, so I did get get quite a a say. Um, but yeah, again, I wanted to leave it as a collaboration as well between me and Mark. And it's always amazing to come back home because the orchestra, I, I can just feel that they know me in a way, like musically when we're really working together, I just feel so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like family at this point. <laughs> yeah. There's something special about being able to go back and work with a group that you know, yes. even if there are new faces. In, yeah in yeah for sure. and so what's the orchestration of your opera do you have a chorus as well how many characters are mm-hmm. in it and then is it a chamber orchestra or is it a is it a large orchestra it was originally conceived as a chamber orchestra and I think would work that way in future iterations as well but since the the whole orchestra was available to me I did score it for full orchestra uh, in this revamp that I recently did and there are six characters no chorus the same character division as my next opera actually which is another Ibsen play which is just an interesting note (laughs) I don't know if that means anything (laughs) but yeah pretty nice and versatile in the sort of size because the the play really takes place in one room in a sitting room so that makes me feel like a chamber opera is really possible, but I'm really excited to see the big version of it first. (laughs) That sounds so exciting. So on the topic of opera roles, do you have a favorite role? And is there a work that's like an immediate yes when you're asked? I do try to not play favorites. Um, (laughs) I have really enjoyed the role of Mimi very long ago. I think that's almost like 10 years ago that I did that. But what really is an immediate yes for me when something is proposed is if it's new and challenging and intriguing. I really love taking on new roles. I love like pushing myself through the things I say yes to. So I do have some favorites, but the, the favorites, I guess, are not the ones that I would immediately say yes to in a weird way. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that you want to like push your creative boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you have any roles that you're currently wishing to sing, hoping to sing in the future? Yeah, my wish list. Mm, Manon, for sure. That one I've been dreaming of forever. (laughs) Um, I've never seen it live too. So I just, it's a little bit unknown to me, but, and then my main wish list right now is focused on, on chamber works. Um, and then the list is like endless, but I'm really getting into chamber work in a a more um, tangible way than I ever have. And, and those kinds of experiences I really am enjoying. That's great. So sort of shifting our questions a little bit, how has your job shifted during the pandemic? How did you or did you not find alternative ways of making music? Is that when you went into more of the composition side because you're more isolated? Yeah. How did the last two years look like for you? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, first, I think there was a bit of relief because I was really close to a burnout um, at the point of when the pandemic hit. And then there was like, kind of despair because what the free time was um killing me I guess 
And well, it wasn't really free time either though. It was just, right. I, we all know we were there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I started selling a bit of visual art um, that I had already made and some, I did some commissions that way. Uh, but yeah, I did start once I sort of had some mental clarity, I um, started in on composing and realized I had been sort of realizing that what I needed as a composer was just a more repertoire. And to get that, I need a lot of time off from singing. So I used that time uh, to compose my second opera, compose a few songs, a new album, a lot of different things. Oh, and during that time, I also was able to have some European debuts of my compositions, which was oh. kind of very cool. It kind of kept me feeling like I was still alive and still participating in the the art form, even though that was hard to do over here. Absolutely. So you mentioned your your second opera. Can you tell us mm. what it is? Yeah, um, it's When We Dead Awaken, which is Henrik Ibsen's last play. I won't give away too much about <laughs> it, <laughs> but it's pretty dramatic, of course. And I'll give away the ending. It ends with an avalanche. Oh, Ooh. wow. Yeah. <laughs> So. so do you do the libretto <laughs> yourself? Yeah, 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 I did. That's wonderful. That's so exciting. <laughs> and I know that you also have a new collection of songs coming out in 2023. Mm. I saw that. Um, can you tell us more about that collection and where people can purchase them? Totally. So I came out with half of that collection, Moon Song Book, this past year. And I wanted to take a little bit more time with the last half of that album. So it's a continuation of that. Um, all of the poetry has something to do with the moon or the nighttime and that kind of fascination of what those things can symbolize quite a few different poets and uh, different voice types I'm I'm striving to work in a way that can really serve many voice types many different mm -hmm. kinds of singers again I guess that flexibility of being interpreted um, another fun thing that was part of the first half of that album are some musical improv games that I've kind of created Ooh. in an effort to make classical music a little more playful um so we'll see what happens with those I don't know I, I still need to play so many of them um <laughs> so if you want to play with me let me know buy me <laughs> buy my album and then <laughs> we'll play some games together <laughs> that sounds like fun um, and you can put you can find my albums on and by album I mean songbook that can be confusing yeah. songbook on my website or on Etsy oh fun that's great mm -hmm. so I'll I will link those in the show notes for anyone that's interested in oh, perfect purchasing that that's so great. So when you're composing your new sets, do you ever get to work with the poets? You had mentioned that you like setting poetry that's previously written. Do you work with living poets? Do you normally draw your inspiration from collections? Do you have favorites? Yeah, yeah. Generally, I have worked with older poetry, things that are out of copyright, right. and, yeah. and a lot of poets that just haven't been set yet. That's important to me as well, um, whether it's modern or... Um, or historical. One living poet that I have gotten to sort of talk to a little bit and introduced to my work, and she gave me permission, of course, to do her stuff is uh, Lorna Crozier. Great. So the Sex Lives of Vegetables have been <laughs> one of my favorite, favorite set. Those were actually the European debuts are largely the Sex Lives of Vegetables. So she's been really lovely. We haven't got to meet yet because she's all the way in BC, but you know, we're connected. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In this virtual world. Yes. Absolutely. Now what's getting 
getting you excited in your musical life right now? What's coming up for you? What are you enjoying? Mm. Coming up for me are a few really cool commissions for some singers that I know, and I'll be producing my first visual album, um, a concert film in the next year called Gentle Freak. Uh, And this will have four different sort of chapters, uh, all of my music, well, not all of my music, but all of it will be (laughs) mine. Yours. Yeah. Yes. And exploring some audio visual capture methods. Yeah, it's very exploratory at this point, but it is officially happening because we got some funding. Woo! Thank you, Canada Council. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. I will look forward to uh, seeing that in the future. It's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you. Is there anything that you want to touch on before we wrap up with some rapid fire questions? You know, I think things are really hopeful in the scene right now. I'm feeling hopeful and I just want to share that hope, I guess, (laughs) with everyone else because it just is such a relief to feel this way again and to see music and art being made and and community being sort of rebuilt in ways and that excites me and I hope it excites everyone (laughs) yes absolutely my partner and I went to a bunch of concerts this summer I'm in Ottawa so lots of Mm. chamber fest and uh, NACO concerts and jazz festival and it was just the energy in the room of being able to be back in person yeah and and watch musicians do what they love and then I've got some concerts coming up later this year and it was just to be able to see that back on the calendar and you're practicing with a purpose now yeah and it's uh, for me it really dawned on me like how special music is in a way (laughs) it's always just been an inevitable part of my life and suddenly it was not possible um so now it's even more precious than ever absolutely I think in a lot of ways we took music for granted at least I did I can't speak for you as just a normal part of our lives and uh and then when we stopped being able to do the thing that we love it you know devastating yeah yes here's to recovery absolutely (laughs) so it's been a pleasure getting to know you getting to chat with you we're gonna wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions there are no wrong answers just go with your gut um can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician um birth And it less that less that I want and more that I am. And now what do we do? <laughs> yes. Favorite piece or song to perform? Uh Strauss's Morgan. Mm. Tearjerker. Have you ever been given bad career advice? No. <laughs> Was it? How much, how much time do you have? <laughs> um uh yes. I think the worst two things that are the worst advice I've ever gotten. Stop composing because it's an old man's game. Oh. <laughs> And say yes to everything. Say yes to everything is a very dangerous piece of advice to yeah. give. Um, say yes when it's a yes is my yes. my advice. <laughs> um, I've heard someone say, if it's not a hell yes, it's not a yes. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What is good musical or career advice that you can pass Ooh. on to up and coming musicians? This isn't necessarily musical, but uh, Michaela Cole, she's a writer, television mostly, I think. And uh, she was doing an acceptance speech where, and this is a paraphrase for short, where she basically said, like, don't be afraid to disappear from social media and from, you know, whatever you're doing to take care of yourself, to get your work where you need it to be. Like, you don't always need to be out there in order to be valid as an artist. Um, And especially during these last two years, that was really encouraging to me. Mm, that's great advice for sure uh what are you listening to right now 
okay Beyonce's new album obviously oh, is so good. taking me by storm uh, everyone who I talked to was like okay <laughs> we know. and then there's an Angel Olsen album that from like 2016 that's really been played uh, a lot by me called My Woman those are my two current faves but I'll obsess over something else soon I'm sure uh, Bjork, <laughs> Bjork is probably gonna be the next one Well, thank you so much for coming on Loud and Clear, Danika. I will have links to all the music and things we referenced in the show notes and also links to the tickets um, for the concerts you're performing in with the SSO. And if you're in the Saskatoon area, I encourage you to see Danika live and in action on January 14th and May 6th. And thanks so much. I hope to have you on again. Thank you. Have a great day. And that is a wrap on my conversation with Danika. Be sure to give them a follow on social media platforms and tell Danika thanks for being on the show. If you don't know, the show notes with the links to everything we've mentioned in the podcast and for all the podcast episodes can be found on concertstream.tv and also on my website, oamusicstudios.ca. And you'll find all sorts of helpful links, including links to tickets for the upcoming performances of Hedda. And if you didn't already know, you can find more loud and clear episodes, including a few video interviews over on my YouTube channel. And as always, you can stream it on concertstream.tv. The other thing that would really help this show out is if you subscribe and download on whatever platform you listen on and leave a five-star rating or a written review. It really helps to show the show some love and it helps to get this show in front of some more people who may enjoy it. And as Glennon Doyle says on her podcast, if you didn't like it, don't worry about leaving us a review. It's fine. If you have any guests or topics you would like me to cover, feel free to reach out to me at OA Music Studios on Instagram or OA Music Studios at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for all the love and support you've been giving this show the last four months. I'm having a blast making it for you. As always, I want to say a huge thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for supporting this show. I want to give a special shout out to visionary and CEO Mark Turner. Thank you to Yash for running the concert stream side of it. And thanks to Terry for helping with the editing. Be sure to tune in next week when I talk with the incomparable maestra Jana Saylor. Thanks for listening in. I'm Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and I'll see you back here next week.